Tonight's Old Testament reading is Psalm 97, verses 1 through 12. It can be found on page 2 in your bulletin. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice, because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, good evening. If you are visiting here uh, at Grace downtown, I want to welcome you. I, I usually lead the singing, so I kind of took this Sunday off, uh, but it was such a joy to uh, sing with you and to hear your voices. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers, and also to those who are spiritual fathers. Happy Father's Day to you as well. Let's pray as we get into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask, O God, that you would speak and that we would listen. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. So today uh, or tonight, we're starting a new series, and the series is called Psalms for Every Season. And so what we, what we want to do through this series, you're going to hear from various people, uh, various elders and various preachers, uh, and I'm kicking off day one of, of our particular series, and, and we've entitled the series Psalms for Every Season, and what we want to look at is uh, for seasons of doubt or seasons of joy or seasons of confusion or seasons of depression or seasons of uh, elation or uh, various, the, the various seasons that we go through and how the Psalms uh, address those particular seasons. Now, today we're going to look at the season of worship, or I would say even a season of uh, not being glad or a season of sadness. And what, what does this, the psalmist has to say to address our particular season if we feel down and out? <clears throat> now, the title of this sermon is Moved by Worship, and uh, just so you know, I, I know Jim is in the room, and I've actually preached this sermon at Grace Meridian Hill, but because I know Jim is in the room and my wife is in the room, I've switched it up. Amen? <laughs> Amen. So you're not, Jim, you're, you're not going to get the same sermon. So when we think about worship, a lot of times we think music, right? We think about uh, expression. Uh, and I, I'll give you a quick story. So uh, I, I was at a church. I won't say where because I know this is recorded. Um, <laughs> but I was at a particular church and I was auditioning to be a worship leader. And so uh, one of the songs that I auditioned with was Israel Houghton's Lord, You Are Good. 
Raise your hand if you've heard that song. Lord, you are good and you're... All right, so some of you. So I asked people to sway and to clap. Now, after my audition, uh, someone came up to me after service, uh, and this uh, lady said, you know what, Andrew, I I really appreciate you trying to uh, lead us in worship, but I don't clap and I don't sway. And I was like, you know what, you know, God, God, God accepts all forms of worship. Amen. Now, I know we're in a Presbyterian church, and so for some of you, clapping and swaying might seem antithetical to your very nature. Now, I know this is Washington, D.C., and y'all, and we just won the Stanley Cup. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I've seen some of you at the parade. So for those of you who say, I don't clap, but I don't sway, you jump, you uh, scream, uh, you stand on top of people. I mean, y'all, you do a lot of things. So let's not, let's not ha- have clapping or swaying out of the realm of what you can do. Amen? So my title is, like I said, Moved by Worship. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been moved by a worship service? Uh, are you searching for something or someone to move you in a way that causes you to come alive and everything makes sense? You know, we, we all feel this at some level. We, we all want to be in the presence of a person who meets our every desire, who, who thinks that we're special, and who accepts us even at our worst, someone or thing that inspires us to achieve feats beyond our current capacity. You see, we, we all long to worship. We, we long to, to give our lives to something or someone greater than us so that perhaps that thing might love us back in return. This is the heart of true worship. The heart of worship is acceptance. We, we worship what we love, like I said, so that the thing we worship might love us back. And this is why worship is so important. You see, worship, it, it draws us out of isolation into a relationship. The kind of, of relationship that, that moves you and gives you life. This is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the kind of worship that sees you in your loneliness, that sees you in a state of unhappiness and brings you into community. Not just any type of community, but the best type of community. The the most vibrant, life-giving, can't-breathe-because-you-can't-stop-laughing community. And we all long for that. And I believe that God is the person that we long for. We, we search for God in every relationship. We listen for him in our favorite songs. We look for him in the beauty around us. We want to worship God and we don't even know it. But at the end uh, of the day, we seek uh, for God sometimes in our own blindness. And, and, we, and we seek out for things that give the appearance of God, uh, but those things isolate us and eventually destroy us. You see, true worship doesn't isolate you. True worship brings you into the most loving relationship the world has ever known. Biblical worship brings you into communion with the triune God, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and it is most realized in community with other people. 
But this type of worship might uh, must have its proper place and center. So we're going to look at what worship is. And what, what, what I'm going to do tonight is to show you that worship has to be Trinitarian. And what I mean by Trinitarian, I, I'm saying God the Father, God the Son, and Spirit. And then the second point is worship involves you. Let's look at the psalmist. Psalm 97.1 says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. And this word, this word coastland could be, is in reference to islands. These are remote places surrounded by water. So God is saying not, not just let the earth, let them land masses, but let those far distant islands that nobody cares about, places like Bermuda or somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, let the earth and the many people be glad. Now, this phrase, the Lord reigns, is very common in the Psalms. We see it in, in a variety of Psalms. And God's reign is always connected to the fact that he is the creator of all things. He rules the heavens and the earth as king. And because God is king, the psalmist says that we should be glad. But you might be wondering tonight why, right? Uh, uh, why should I be glad? You know, I, I didn't vote for God to be king. In fact, I'm not always glad. You know, I, I know this is the north and I came from the south and a lot of people don't smile up in the north. And so I, I know for a fact that we're not glad all the time. And, 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 and no, no offense to northerners. My, my, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I got love for north and, and also the south. I'm from the deep south. I'm from the island. So you can't get any more southern than me. Amen. <laughs> So I, I sometimes struggle to smile, and my, my wife and kids can tell you that, because sometimes life is hard, right? And, and, and so the question is, how, how does God's rule make us glad? The psalmist is saying, because God is king, let the earth be glad. And I believe Psalm uh, seven, uh, 97 verse 2 gives us the answer. Let's look at verse 2. Ver, verse 2 talks about righteousness and justice being the foundation of God's throne. Righteousness refers to God's character as being good and free from doing evil. Justice refers to the way in which he interacts on behalf of the oppressed. So here we see an, an, an infinite God who is invisible, ruling as king and creator of all things. This God doesn't need anyone or anything, yet this God decides to reveal himself in a way that we would understand. You see, when we get depressed or sad or distraught, we long for righteousness we, and we long for justice. We, we want someone to do right by us. We want someone who has our best interests in mind. Well, the psalmist is saying that there's someone that we long for is God. Now, many people say that there are many paths to God. And if you are skeptic to get today or, 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 or some, someone who's, you would describe yourself as I'm spiritual, I'm, I'm seeking for truth, I would love to talk to you about that question. I, I, I had prepared like five minutes of worth of information on that, but because of time, I'm, I'm going to cut it short to, to two seconds. So if you are a skeptic, please come see me afterwards. So. The, uh, many people say that there are many paths to God, but the psalmist would disagree. The real question the psalmist is answering is not how can we get to God, 
But the psalmist is asking, will God ever come to us? You see, kings don't typically mingle with with those under them. Uh, Kings are historically known for their distance and their unapproachableness. Kings are not like neighbors, friends, or acquaintances that you might meet on the street. You, you see, you need, you need an appointment to see the king. And usually, when you make an appointment, that appointment is scheduled by the king if the king wants to see you. So the fact that we see God descending from his throne and we see the, the descent of God, because remember the psalmist says, let the, uh, God reigns, let the heavens rejoice. And then it talks about righteousness and justice being the foundation of his throne. And then it says that the mountains melt like wax before him. So what that is saying is that God has moved from the heavens down to the mountains and they melt like wax, which brings him on the earth. So you see this descent from God in the heavenly place to where we are. So uh, the fact that we see God descending from his throne to come to earth to reveal himself shows us that there is only one path to God, and that's if the, that God would come down. It is the path of God coming down, not just not coming down, but revealing righteousness and justice. This, the psalmist says, should make us glad. So God's self-revelation causes us to worship him. And Psalm 97 verse 7 says, All the worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boasts in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. The reference to gods here could be you know, man-made uh, images or even angels or divine beings. In either case, God is saying for both to worship him. Now, there are are several words for worship in Scripture, and the most common word for worship in the Old Testament uh, means to bow down or to to do homage. It expresses an attitude or gesture of one's complete dependence on or submission to a higher authority figure. So when you you hear the word worship, uh, what you're hearing is a word that means to actually bow down, to, to, to humble yourself in the presence of something greater. So biblical worship is essentially our response to God. It is a response to God's self-revelation, and we could respond in a variety of ways. It could be in awe, uh, it could be in stillness, it could be in praise or singing or dancing. But we can't worship God until he reveals himself to us. So this, 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 this the, the psalmist says, should be a transformative experience because God's word wants to change us. Because at the end of the psalm, remember, it, it says, oh, righteous one. So the very thing that we lack is the thing that God gives. And so this is a transformative experience. And James K.A. Smith, author and educator, speaks about the transforming power of worship. He says, we worship what we love and what we love shapes us. And so biblical worship is formative in in us understanding the story of God redeeming a people who are not a people. This formation engages not only the mind and the heart, but also the body. There is a physical response to God's self-revelation. And we see it in Psalm 97, verse 3 through 6. Let's look at it. It says, fire goes before him. And burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. That's a physical response. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. That's a physical response. 
So to be in the presence of God literally is to be in the presence of an all-consuming fire. And Moses experienced this in the Old Testament when he, uh, right before he uh, addressed the children of Israel, he saw God in the burning bush. And the children of Israel saw God's presence descend on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. And God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and, and God spoke to the tribes and the elders and this is what, uh, uh, And this is what they said in Deuteronomy 5, verse 24, when God descended on the mountain. They said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still lives. Psalm 24, 3 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who will stand in his holy place? And then it says, he who has a clean hands and pure heart. My brothers and sisters, do you have clean hands and pure hearts 365 days a year and even on the leap year? I, I, I would surmise and say, you know, it's, it's hard for us to even have a clean hand and pure heart in just one day, let alone every day. And so the question is, how can we ascend the hill of the Lord? How can we come into God's presence Because it seems to me the psalmist is saying that only those who have clean hands and a pure heart can do this. Now, do you realize that we we worship a God whose very presence can lead to death? And we see this uh, uh, in the Old Testament priesthood, how the Old Testament priests, they would consecrate themselves before meeting with God. Why? Because he is holy, he is pure, and he is righteous. And without God's covering, we are unholy impure and unrighteous. And that's why worship has to be God-centered because it is literally a matter of life and death. But before you run away, before you say, man, Andrew, there you go, that Old Testament fire-breathing God, I want to say, yes, God is a consuming fire. And yes, even if you are in his presence, there is always the potential of death But the scripture says that there is a way to the holy temple. There is a way to ascend the hill of the Lord. There is a way to stand in God's presence. And it is through Jesus Christ, the king of glory. You see, the king of glory comes down from the holy mountain to bring mercy and forgiveness and assurance that God will not consume us with his holy fire. The king of glory covers us with righteousness and makes us holy and acceptable To God, the king of glory touches the unclean and makes them clean. The king of glory invites children into his presence. Now, the Old Testament priests and prophets would be like, that's crazy. How can unordained men or women, how can let alone a child enter the presence of God? So you see, this is why worship has to be Christ-centered, because it is only through Christ that we could enter God's holy place. And this is the beauty of Christ. God, uh, you, uh, you know, a lot of times we, 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 we are, we, we're thinking about righteousness, right? And, and on our biggest problem, we might say that, you know, how can I stand in God's presence? But the beauty uh, of God's revelation is that the foundation of God's throne has the very things that we lack and need. You see, we lack righteousness and we need justice. We, we expect our rulers and those who are in, are in authority to give us justice, but we don't expect them to make us righteous. 
You see, God goes above and beyond any earthly king or queen or ruler. He makes us righteous, which means that he shares his royalty with us. So don't you see the scandal of this reality? So let's look at it. So the fact that we, we, we can enter God only through Jesus Christ and Jesus makes us acceptable and the Holy Spirit Makes it trans, us, makes us transformative. First Corinthians 6 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who was within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So biblical worship is essentially an embodied reality. Uh, because, because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and, and the Father, they come to live inside of. The Holy Spirit brings this reality inside of us. The consuming fire that the people of Israel ran away, ran away from in fear actually lives inside those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So then, what does this mean? What does this mean for our corporate worship? It means that our preferences are secondary to God's glory, and God's community, which is his temple. I'll say it again. Our preferences are secondary to God's glory and God's community, which is his temple. Now, let's talk about the temple. Because God's temple is now in our bodies, you have to respect the worship of your brother and sister. Because their worship is actually helping you to experience the presence of God in a more powerful way. This act of self-denial, putting God and others over your preferences, that is at the heart of worship. This uh, older gentleman, George H. Murison, who was a pastor in the Wellington Church of Glasgow, Scotland in 1902. And friends, this is 1902. So when I'm, what I'm about to read may surprise you because it seems like he is alive today in 2018. And I'll read what he says about the heart of worship. George Murison says, in all communion, there must be self-denial and a constant willingness to yield a little, just as a mother worthy of the name loves to deny herself for her dear children, just as a husband will regard his wife in every choice that he makes and every plan. So in the fellowship of public worship, There must be mutual consideration, a constant willingness to forgo a little for the sake of the others for whom Christ has died. Now, check this out. He says, the young have their rights, but they will not insist on them. Because when they know that it would vex and irritate the old, the old have their claims, but for the sake of the young, they will welcome what may not appeal to them. And when a hymn song or when a word is preached that seems to have no message for one worshiper, that worshiper will always bear in mind that for someone else, that is the word in season. All that is of the essence of true worship, and it calls for a little bit of sacrifice. So we can't despise God's temple sitting next to us tonight because their deliverance can impact your deliverance. Uh, Their praise can impact your praise. Their worship can shape what you love about God. You see, God's uh, temple is not defined by one person's experience. God dwells in homeless people. 
God dwells in immigrants. He, he dwells in people who might not know what the future may hold. He dwells in peoples of all races and ethnic groups, and he desires that his temple would worship him corporately because he wants to announce to the world how beautiful, how majestic, how lovely, how good, and how perfect he is. And one voice is not enough. God is gathering the nations for a worship that would be so powerful that that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So don't limit what God wants to do in you. Yes, I believe he does want to use your gifts. He, He does want to use your personality for his glory, but he also wants to stretch you. He wants the weak to say that I'm strong. He wants the poor to say that I am rich. He wants the foolish to shame the wise, the lowly and the despised to bring down those who are revered in high places. He he wants the intellectual to lift their hands. And he wants the charismatic to to meditate in silence. He, He wants the traditional hymns only people to sing contemporary songs. And he wants the contemporary singers to learn hymns. He he wants the classical musician to learn jazz and the jazz musician to learn punk rock. Now, you might ask why. Because the reason why is so that no one might glorify themselves in his presence. You see, God wants to stretch you and, and you can't fully worship God unless you're stretched. You can't fully worship God until you have humbled yourself. Because this might not be a word for you, but this might be the word for someone else. And that doesn't mean that the word ain't good. Amen. So God wants to stretch us. He, he, he wants us to think about his glory first and foremost before our own preferences, before uh, what type of style of music or, or what level of expression or do we sit or stand or do I bend or do I lift my hands out or up or 90 degrees or whatever we have. All of that is secondary to God's glory and to the person standing next to you. Amen? And let me, let me close with this particular verse in Jeremiah chapter 9. The prophet Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise person boast in their wisdom. Let not the mighty person boast in their might. Let not the rich person boast in their riches, but let the person who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. The psalmist says that the Lord reigns, that the earth be glad. I don't know what season you are in tonight, but the fact that God reigns, rules and reigns over the heavens and the earth means that God knows the end from the beginning and that we can trust this God. You know, a lot of people are searching for God, but the reality is that God is searching for us and God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And the beauty of who God is, God is not a tyrant. God is not someone who doesn't speak one languages. He's not only bilingual, not only trilingual, he's multilingual. And on top of that, he loves 
his creation. And he wants a relationship with you. And so if you are a skeptic today and you're wondering what God should I serve or worship, let me, I, I must say you have to ask this particular God two questions. The first is, does this God love me? And the second is, what will this God sacrifice and give up to prove that this God loves me? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. And Father, we, I must confess that it is hard to worship you. It is hard to learn different styles and different expressions. It is hard, Father, to, to learn a different liturgy that doesn't suit our particular tastes. But Father, help us to, rem- to remember that it's not about us but it's about your glory, but you do love us and want to include us in the process. And so, Father, give us humble hearts. Give us the heart of sacrifice that we, Father, would sacrifice our desires for the person sitting next to us so that at the end of the day, we might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.